It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, can't, can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Jay Catch, Alex Lundberg, Yawk, and Lundy along for the ride here on your Saturday afternoon. This is a theme song or like a, a song at a college football venue that I have experienced in person, and it is awesome. I, man, yeah, I. this is another one that I – just going through my, my bucket list on here, Eric. You're doing a great job. Yeah, uh, Camp Randall up there in Madison, Wisconsin – the stadium is really, really old. It's one of the oldest in the sport, but the entire stadium legitimately shakes when this comes on between the third and fourth quarter. It's absolutely nuts. So, well done, Alex. Uh, time now to bring in our guest on today's show, our good friend Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio. You probably heard him earlier this morning right here on The Zone. As they talk golf for three hours every Saturday morning. Bob, thank you for taking the time. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Glad to do it. Hey, so let's start here. Uh, weather over there at Royal St. George's, I was talking to Alex about this and trying to explain to him that the weather for this Open has been different than other Opens considering there's just no precipitation. There hasn't been any. Yeah. Yeah, there hasn't been any rain other than, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and that's why you're seeing the golf course so green. This golf course is usually kind of fiery, kind of burn out a little bit, and um, – it's getting there because you've had sun and you've had 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 some breeze and not really hard wind, but it's getting there and um, and that's why um, uh, one of the reasons why you didn't see a lot of the low scores today is because the the course is starting to get a little bit fiery, uh, but also they um, put the pins in some really tricky positions today and it kept the scores a little bit higher than they have been the last two days. So, Bob, uh, one of the things, you know, like I, I've, I've tuned in and watched a few different professional golf things, but admittedly, I don't really know what I'm looking at. I'm not somebody that understands the game of golf really at a uh-huh. very good level at all. So when I turn this on, what are some things that I should be watching for and the listeners who might find themselves in the, my same position? You know, those of us who are new to the game of golf, what are the key well, things to keep know- an eye on? Okay, so um, in in a in an Open Championship or a British Open, um, there's uh, especially on this golf course, um, it's it's a links golf course, and, and links means that it's the ground that is usable ground. Um, that's excuse me, it's the unusable unusable ground between the farmland and the ocean, and that's where they build the golf course. It's, it's got a great sand base. Um, it doesn't have a lot of uh, um, uh, topsoil and that kind of thing on it, so that's why when they hit when they hit divots, you'll see the divots just kind of explode and poof. Um, but when you're when guys are playing um, the Open Championship, um, you you need to look for guys that are are hitting the fairways 
um, getting the ball in the fairway, not in the rough, because if, they, if they're driving it in that big wispy stuff, you're going to have an extremely hard time all day long. Guys that hit, hit greens um, and that have good short games. Um, but most of all, you just a lot of things happen. You get funny bounces, tricky bounces in open championships. Um, it's a little more whimsical, um, and it's not typically what you would see in the United States. Our golf courses are called Parkland Golf Courses. This is the Open Championship primarily plays on Lynx golf courses, which uh, which is affected more by the weather, uh, whether it's uh, rain or um, winds. So, all right. So, Bob, we've got uh, Louis Oosthuizen, who's a former Open champion yep. atop the leaderboard, yep. but Colin Morikawa right there with him. What are you expecting? Yep. We're obviously third round is concluded now. We're getting ready for the fourth round upcoming. What are you expecting from those two? And is there somebody else? I know Spieth uh, had that bogey on 18 that pushed him to nine under. A bunch of guys within five shots. Do you expect this to be a pretty competitive final day of the tournament? I do expect it to be competitive. What I'm interested to see is are they going to open it up a little bit more and, and, and make those pin positions a little bit more acceptable so you can see guys um, make a big run from four or five or six shots back. Um, but I wouldn't think that that's what's going to happen. I would think they would set the golf course up just like it was today, um, that it's going to be hard to hit fairways. The fairways are going to be running a little bit faster, and the and the flags are going to be in tough positions again. Um, and it's going to be tough for the guys coming down the stretch. You know, Ustazen played some great golf. He shot one under par. It looked like he had a few things that uh, that he had problems with, but he always already always came back good. Uh, Morikawa had a tough front nine, but came back with two birdies on the back nine and um, ended up shooting two under par on the back nine. So that's why he's at 11. He started uh, he started two shots back, so he mm-hmm. picked up a shot on Neustazen. The one I was disappointed with was Jordan Spieth. Um, you know, his first 10 holes, he's four under par, and his last eight holes, he's three over par. Um, and the last two holes, 17 and 18, hit a very poor shot on the 17th hole into the green, and it ended up making bogey. And then 18, missing that little two, two and a half footer on the 18th hole for another bogey. So, um, but I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a great round. The other thing that, um, you know, when Jordan Spieth won the U.S. Open, he won it at um, Chambers Bay, which was kind of the United States' kind of sort of Lynx golf course that they held an open, uh, a U.S. Open on or a major championship. He was in the second to the last group in the final round and ended up winning the golf tournament. He's in the second to the last group this week, so ah. if we can take something from that, you know, he might have a chance. Uh, Bob, I wanted to ask you about uh, Bryson's comments from earlier this week, where he he uh, said that he yeah. hated his driver. We saw, you know, Brooks followed it up with, you know, commenting that he loved his driver. You know, and yeah. even though I'm not familiar with the game of golf, I am familiar with that rivalry between the two of them, constantly going back and forth. Uh-huh. But I wanted to ask you, you know, like somebody that's inexperienced when I go golfing. I feel like that's an excuse that somebody like me would use that says, you know, I hate my driver. That's why I'm not playing well. It, what's what's kind of the deal with that, with it coming from a professional? Well, you know, it's it, the thing that is upsetting about his comments after that first round were that, um, he, you know, he was taking, taking 
pot shots right at his manufacturer, somebody that pays him millions of dollars a year to play their equipment. Um, and they have done nothing but bend over backwards to try to um, make him equipment and and many, many iterations of that equipment. And the majority of them are prototypes as far as the driver is concerned. It's not what they give out or what, what the public purchases. And, and he's, you know, and he's shooting holes in it. So um, he did come back and apologize. Um, but it was, it was really bad form that he did that. Um, acted like, you know, uh, one of the British tabloids said he was acting like an eight-year-old. You know, this little feud between Bryson and um, Brooks, I think, is going to be something that goes back and forth. Um, just little pot shots here and there. And I thought Brooks's comments yesterday were awesome. He said, I'm hitting my driver really good, and I love my driver. And you knew that was, was right at Bryson. Um, so uh, these guys are going to be playing um, soon uh, on the same team in the Ryder Cup. And uh, hopefully this doesn't kind of boil into that. I, I would imagine Captain Steve Stricker has talked with them a little bit about it. But, uh, but I think it'll be fine. They're professionals, and, and, and they'll do great. Okay, Bob, I want to go back in the time machine with you because, of course, your father is a legendary figure in the sport of golf. I don't know if I've ever told you this, mm-hmm. but I, I, before I met you, and I've been – man, I don't know how long we've been doing stuff on air and whatnot and having you on it. Sure. My grandfather would reference Billy Casper all the time, so it was cool to, to get to know you just because my grandpa haven't talked about him my entire life. But uh-huh. how many times did your father play in the Open Championship? I know back in that era, before I think it was Arnold Palmer really kind of got guys going over there, it was just yeah. – something guys did yeah you know um it was interesting my dad decided uh early on that he wasn't going to play a lot of um open championships because he could stay in the united states and make more money um playing regular tour events and not you know make the trip across the pond i think the first time he played it was in 1968 Mm -hmm. um I'm, i'm just looking here right now 1968, and um, and he almost he almost won the golf tournament. Um, he he finished fourth, but he was leading the golf tournament going to the back nine and and through about 14 holes and hit a bad drive and ended up losing out to Gary Player. Uh, then in in the next year in '69 he finished 25th, and then he he in he finished 17th and seventh and 40th, and he only played the Open Championship five times. So um, one of the one of his big um, things that he talked about one of one of the things he wished he would have done is played the Open Championship more because it really suited his game well. He was a low ball hitter. He could keep it under wind. He liked playing in bad conditions and windy conditions and rainy conditions and that kind of thing. And to only play it five times and finish the worst he finished was tied for 40th, and he had a chance to win a couple of times. Um, he really felt he let himself down by not doing that. But, um, you know, uh, two U.S. Opens, one Masters, mm-hmm. uh, one U.S. Senior Open, and one Senior Players Championship for a total of uh, three regular tour majors and five, and uh, two senior majors is uh, is pretty good. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say he's had, he had an absolutely phenomenal career. There's no doubt about yep. that. But did you ever have a chance to go over with him to the Open Championship? I know you've talked about going over there and broadcasting and doing your guys' show over there. Did you ever have a chance to travel with him to the Open Championship? 
you, you know, when I was uh, when I was younger, I did, uh, you know, around uh, between the ages of 10 and like, uh, so I would have been eight in 68. Okay. So, so the last three U.S. Opens uh, would have been when I, when I was 10, which is the first one I remember, 10 to, 10 to 12. Um, and then, uh, like you said, Brian and I went over in 2005 and we broadcasted from uh, the old course at St. Andrews. And um, we got to play uh, golf with him a couple times while we were over there, we played at Carnoustie and the last time he had played at Carnoustie, he, um, he almost won the golf tournament. So that was, that was kind of fun too. So how many, how many times have you been over to the open championship? I know you, you've caddied at points in your life. Obviously you've been on real golf radio for yeah. 21 years in now. How long have you been doing 22. this 22. Yeah, okay. 22 with real golf. It's yep. absolutely incredible. So how many times have you been over to the open championship all told? All told I've been over about a half a dozen times. Yeah. It's fan. so it's yeah, fantastic it's, it's uh it's a great place and and um i i love playing links golf it's totally different um from what we're used to playing mm-hmm. but it's it's awesome yeah see I, i'm with you on that i've my father's traveled extensively internationally he's talked about the fact that links golf it's a very different type of format of golf to, like, yep. to, to play that yep but he really really enjoys it because we don't get that here at home in the united states that's correct. All right. Well, Bob, we can't thank you enough for taking some time to join us. We're looking forward to that fourth round. I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a very competitive final round over there at Royal St. George's. Oh, by the way, on the Royal St. George's front, I think there's a lot of people out there who can name Carnoustie, who can name the old course. What about Royal St. Mm-hmm. George's? Royal St. George's sets it apart from the other courses that are in the rotation for the British Open. Well, it's in southern England. It's the southernmost course mm-hmm. in the Rota that they play. Um, and the unique thing about it is that it's, uh, it's really kind of quirky and bumpy and bouncy and it's got lots of rolls in the greens and lots of little bumps and knobs and everything in the fairways and, uh, tough to keep it in the fairways. And, and, uh, you know, it's got what we're used to seeing with, um, Lynx style courses. It's got the revetted face bunkers. Now revetted means that they take sod. Yeah. And they stack it on top of each other, and um, and it builds up the builds up the bunker, but it also you can see the lines in it from the sod that stacked up. Um, so um, those those are the things that really kind of make it stand out, being being from the south south part of England, and also uh, it's a little bit of quirkiness. It's not their it's not the favorite golf course of the players, as far as open. Um, venues are concerned they'd rather play at uh, the old course or Carnoustie or some of the other ones Royal Troon sure Burkdale a, a bunch of different ones well when you say south it's about as south as you can go in England honestly because Dover's yeah. right yeah. by it yeah. uh, London's not too far away it's old course is up by Edinburgh no this is we're south England it is as south as you get that's so. correct all yeah. right yeah it's about an hour I think it's about an hour and a half by by car to drive from London down to where this is in Sandwich, England. Great name, Sandwich, England, of all places. Yep. All right, Bob, well, can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, You've done great work, as always. By the way, and sorry, I keep saying we're going to let you go. Is it weird to think think that the majors are over now? Like, you're in July, and all of a sudden it's done? Yeah, but, you know, in a couple weeks we have the the Olympics, and Mm -hmm. then about a month or so later in, uh, you know, mid to latter September, we have the – 
we have the Ryder Cup. So that's something really great to look forward to, uh, the United States team against uh, Great Britain and, uh, and the, European, the European squad. So, um, you know, even though this is the last major of the year, I'm really looking forward to September. All right. Well, Bob, we'll look forward to it. We'll continue to listen to you on Real Golf Radio with Brian, as always. And thanks for taking the time to join us here. You got it. Thanks, guys. There you go. Bob Casper. Did you learn something today? I can I can confidently say that I've learned more in the past like 20 minutes about golf than I have in the 31 years of my life previous <laughs> to this moment. Well, there you go. So that was that was great for me. Like I, that was really educational for me to just kind of sit back and, and listen to to somebody who really understands the game at a deep level. Explain it in simple terms to somebody like me who knows nothing about it and really helps me. Like, I mean, you know, I, I was familiar with the fact that people talked about links courses. Sure. I didn't know that there was an actual difference. Yeah. It, in the way that it is, you know, between what we have here it, in America. So that was new to me. Very that was that was great to learn. Yeah, so the funny thing is though, so Royal St. George's, you're just across the uh, the Strait of Dover from Dunkirk. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's as south in England as you get. Mm-hmm. But kind of fascinating cuz a lot of these if you think of when you think of British Open, they're up in Scotland where the old mm-hmm. course is at and whatnot. So a big thank you once again to Bob for joining us. By the way, Real Golf Radio I know a lot of people, it's early on a Saturday, but I always enjoy it when I catch Brian and Bob. They've been doing it 22 years. It's impressive. That's so cool. They've done a great job with it. There's no doubt about that. But I'm looking forward to this. This final this final round, it's as competitive as I think you'll you'll see in, in many golf tournaments. So if you want to learn some more, you know what to do tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You can stay up late tonight and probably watch it go off early if you want to as well. But, all right, we will take a time out here. We'll come back on the other side. Time to get into Saki, uh, the 60 and 60 recap from the week that was on Hands and Scotty. So plenty to get to and plenty more to get to ahead here on today's show. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Once again, a big thank you to Bob Casper for taking the time to join us in our previous segment, get some uh, knowledge dispensed upon Lundy. He said he learned a lot from that, but obviously you get some thoughts on the Open Championship as well as it plays out. A lot to get to still ahead on today's show, but Lundy, let's get in to Saki. Eric?
There you go. The open to Saki. We mixed two different sports that are a little off the beaten track. Hockey and soccer, both interests of Lundy and I's. Uh, I've actually, by the way, since we started this show, I've learned a lot about hockey. And I, it's actually been kind of fun, obviously. As I mentioned, the Seattle Kraken, I've adopted them as my team in the National Hockey League. They're getting ready for the expansion draft this coming week. And uh, Lundy, where are we talking? Well, Soccer-wise, you already mentioned the fact about the Edmonton Oilers breaking your heart in a way earlier this week with it seems like a rather dumb trade. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it is, you know, dumb, confusing. You know, like a lot of the beat writers that I follow that cover the Oilers have not really held back their opinions. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of them that, on the nicer side, you know, when they try to spin it, they just say they've made a perplexing trade. And then there's others where the headlines say things like Oilers willingly made themselves worth worse with Duncan Keith trade. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I, like every time I think that they can't break my heart more, they find a new way to do it. It's just, you know, Pain. Yeah, that's the it's the life of a sports fan. Uh, th- that's true. That is a very good point. Uh, where else in the hockey world do we need to note? Uh, obviously, the expansion draft will be coming up this coming week. We'll find out those uh, what they call the protected lists. Yeah, the protected lists should come out sometime this week, where we find out the core of players from each team that are protected that are not allowed to be picked over okay. by the Seattle Kraken, uh, and then we'll watch as the the Kraken kind of formulate their first roster. From Thir- the players that are available. 30 players they have to take. And then, like, yeah. then the, and then there's the amateur draft, which is the traditional NHL draft. And I, I'm intrigued by all of this. I, trust me, I am, I am a neophyte when it comes to hockey. I, like, similar to what you talked about with golf, I don't understand all the dynamics of hockey. I know that hockey has changed as well. Like There's different rules and whatnot that change every so often. But for the life of me, you said, Jake, explain icing in hockey. And I would have been like, I lose. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. Icing. Uh, hockey has an interesting offsides rule as yes. well. It's oh. different than soccer. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's there's a few of those rules that they're weird and confusing, and then once you figure them out, it's like, oh, okay, actually, yeah, okay. It's, it's not as complicated as, as I initially thought. Key off-season dates. Okay. Just for those who want to keep track. July 21st, expansion draft. And it really picks up July 23rd, NHL draft. Okay. That goes until the 24th. Uh, they do it in two days. Um, July 28th, only four days after that NHL free agency opens. That is also when you'll see a lot of trades start happening and players, you know, trade deadline uh, in draft day itself, you're going to see a lot of players get moved. Um, so that whole week, Basically after, basically, after our show next week, there will be a ton of hockey news. So it, uh, this segment will really pop off the 31st. Um, and then it's kind of a dead period until September when training camp starts. There's the preseason, which, like all preseasons, is totally worthless. <laughs> And then, hey, the Kraken take the ice for the first time in Spokane on September 26th. It's been all over their social media. And then, uh, hey, we're also there's this building I know. is hosting 
yes a preseason game golden knights so, and the you know. kings yeah. that is true so that I, one I, that one will be fun but the rest i don't know all right well there you go so at least we know what kind of where the roadmap is for the offseason for nhl uh, let's get to the soccer part of this real salt lake had a miniature break for the gold cup uh, I don't necessarily know it was for the Gold Cup, but it was just a miniature break for the squad. They are back in action tonight as they head to Los Angeles to Bonk of California Stadium. I like to call it Bonk because it's spelled B-A-N-C. Uh, just call it Bank. But they're taking on LAFC tonight, trying to get revenge for the loss they took here at Rio Tinto Stadium just a little under two weeks ago. Looking forward to that. Uh, Rubio Rubin, who's been kind of the breakout star for Real Salt Lake this year, he originally came to RSL on a one-year contract, just signed a new deal, which will take him through 2024 with a team option for 2025. So he got a new long-term deal. He'll be here for the foreseeable future, it appears. And it's actually kind of exciting. Uh, RSL, Tony Dotkovic, the Croatian uh, center back they had signed in the – off-season period, actually the early part of this season. He's finally on the ground and could be available as soon as tonight to play. And then Johnny Menendez, he is a true playmaker on the field, uh, number 10 as they call him, could also be available here relatively quickly for Real Salt Lake. So the whole squad, the the, the all the signings, everything, they've all kind of navigated all the different pitfalls that COVID-19 has had for them, and the full squad should be available to Freddie Juarez here relatively quickly for RSL. Of the new additions that come into the team, Who's going to be the most impactful? So that's the interesting question about it is because Datkovic uh, bolsters the center back position, which has been essentially a two-man job. I know Eric Holt has been kind of the third man there, but it's been Justin Glad and uh, Marcelo Silva have been kind of the two guys. He's a left-footed center back, which is unique in the sport because left-footed anything on the back line for soccer is actually kind of rare because a lot of guys who have left feet, similar to left-handed pitchers in baseball and left-handed basketball players, you're usually playing more offense because you're just a different look. But he's a left-footed, left-footed center back. We'll see how he does fitting in. Uh, by the way, apparently him and Utah Jazz forward uh, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich are somewhat close and are actually fans of the same club, came from the same club over there in uh, Croatia. So kind of a fun connection there. Demir Krylock also is a Croatian, has become fairly good friends with Boyan. So we have three professional Croatian uh, ball players here in the market, by the way. Kind of funny. Yeah, cool. uh, But I think the Menendez uh, addition will be interesting. I'm interested to see how he fits in with this squad. And that last LAFC game against RSL, a lot closer. Sure. Then, you well, know, RSL talks about the fact that they feel like they should have won it. Very, very close. And that great goal line clearance, of course, by LAFC. Yes, there was. There's no Keeping doubt about that. that. All right. Uh, so there you go. That's Saki for this week. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the 60 and 60 here. Catch our listeners up in case they have missed this. By the way, you can get this whole list of the 60 and 60, the top 60 players as voted on by the local media at 1280thezone.com. You can find it. Uh, last week, we left off Lundy with Dalton Kincaid, who checked in at number 44. We start this week going down to BYU at number 43, BYU wide receiver Neil Pau. Your thoughts on Big Neil? Uh, Neil is one of the most talented uh, people on BYU's roster, I think. you know, um, I had him decent amount higher than what he comes in on the overall mm-hmm. thing in my ballot. But I think Neil Pau is, you know, definitely one of BYU's receiving strengths okay. for, the, for their team. So, B, 
Big body, six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pounds. Kind of the overlooked guy in BYU's offense last year in many ways. Was very effective in his role, but kind of got overlooked in that. I'm with you. I had him higher on my list uh, than he is currently checking in at. Uh, any thoughts from you, Eric, on Neil Pau before we advance? Yeah, I also had him kind of in my high thirties. Okay. Um, yeah. Coming up next, number 42, Carson Terrell, tight end from Utah State. Uh, Terrell is actually a product of the Utah high school uh, uh, scene, Lehigh High School. I liked watching him in high school, and I thought he was going to have a stellar career up in Logan. It's been stunted by some injuries and just overall an ineffective quarterback play, if we're being frank, Mm -hmm. with the Aggies. But he's still a great, great athlete, I I think. Yeah, you know, and – I do think that you're absolutely right with that, where the inconsistencies at quarterback and, you know, just kind of the turnover there, you know, anybody that's in any kind of receiving position, whether that's wide receiver or tight end, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, their overall productivity is going to be hurt by the fact that there's been kind of some turbulent waters there. And so hopefully if the Aggies are able to kind of settle things down, get a little bit more production there, we'll be able to see his production increase as well from the receiving side of playing tight end. And that's the thing that's kind of been the one thing that's missing from him because he was a true pass-catching threat at Lehigh, and it just has not translated so far. But I really do put a lot of that just on the inconsistency of the offense up there in Logan. All right, let's talk about a guy that uh, I've been asked to pronounce this name multiple times because I was the one that was responsible to get him on this list. Laakea Kaho'ohanohano Davis from Southern Utah University, linebacker. What do you know about Laakea? I honestly, this is not a name that I was familiar with. Okay, so, so like most people at this station, unlike you, I was uh, I was very unfamiliar with him. I've been doing a little bit of Dixie State stuff on the side because they moved up to the FCS level mm-hmm. and SUU kind of just by way of being down in Southern Utah. I saw his name and I started looking at, and I'd seen some Southern Utah stuff during this spring season. Talking about a kid when Scotty and Hands when they announced they're doing the sixty and sixty again this year, they mentioned the fact that man, we don't really know about anybody down there at Southern Utah or Dixie State. I'm like, I got a guy for you, and I pulled up the name, and they're like, "You're joking." I'm like, "No, he had seven sacks this past spring, just a tackling machine. He's a native of Hawaii, Kahului, Hawaii, Harry P. Ryan Baldwin High School out there. He's a senior, a redshirt senior this year, but he's just coming into his own. He's a fantastic player, six one, two hundred fifteen pounds, making plays all over the field." Well, you know, and I feel like SUU kind of, you know, this this isn't an uncommon position for them to be in where they have guys that play at a high level that, you know, kind of fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, you know, they had a stretch there where they put a handful of guys into the NFL. Sure. As a, you know, just kind of forgotten about FCS team in the state of Utah. Keep an eye on Kaho'o Hanohano Davis this year, by the way. The fact that they, I, 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 I want to see Southern Utah. I don't know if they put names on the back of the jerseys. I'd love to see them try and fit his last <laughs> name on the back of a jersey. It'd be like Jared Saltalamakia in the MLB. He has the longest name, and it literally goes from like, like bottom of shoulder blade to bottom of other shoulder blade. Really, like, yes. just arced. Yeah. That's yeah. what they'd have to do, honestly, or have a really small font. There's one way or the other. All right, uh, Eric, any thoughts on any of those guys? Okay, all right, number 40, TJ Pledger, running back from the University of Utah. Uh, this is actually a similar spot that I had Pledger on my list, and it's nothing against Pledger, trust me. And I, I know that Utah fans will are going to be like, you're at 40? It's just the fact that they have three different running backs that are on this list. All three of them, I think, are contributing high at high levels. And Pledger, we just don't know exactly what to expect from him. Right. And I, I agree that, you know, Utah 
right now, it's, I mean, it's a three-headed beast in the backfield right mm-hmm. now. Um, TJ Pledger, you know, transferring in, we don't really know what to expect, but I, I do think that he has capabilities of being a major contributor up there this upcoming season. Sure. I, I'm looking forward to Pledger. I really like his game. Mm-hmm. A native of Pacoima, uh, California, coming back west a little bit after being at Oklahoma for all that time. A guy who never lived up to his billing out of the high school ranks. We all know that, but he's got an opportunity here. Yeah, very and- much so. All right, uh, let's talk about the first quarterback, I believe, showing up on this list in the 60 and 60, Cam Rising, uh, quarterback for the University of Utah. This is low uh, for what I thought, but also I understand why he is here at number 39. Right, and Cam Rising, you know, I I also agree that this is a little bit low. Uh, you know, I had I had him a little bit higher, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, similar to – TJ Pledger, we, we don't know a lot of what to expect from him. What we saw last season before he got hurt mm-hmm. shows a lot of promise. Uh, if he's able to return to that form after that shoulder injury, um, that'll be a, a big bonus. Uh, he's got to win the, the the job outright first. Sure. You know, there's it's not going to be an easy task, but I think that, you know, that's that's a position battle. Where I I honestly don't know what to expect. You know, I think that my prediction would be Charlie Brewer would be the starter, but Charlie B as PK likes to call him. Yeah, but honestly, I have no idea, and I would not be surprised. Even though I think that Charlie Brewer will be the starter, mm-hmm. I won't be surprised if Cam Rising gets the nod. I can see that. Eric, any thoughts on Cam Rising? No, I'm with Lundy. Yeah, I think that he is the one guy that consistently Kyle Whittingham has been high on every time that he's bad moon to the yeah (laughs) every time that he speaks to the media and I think that there is something to be said that Kyle Whittingham keeps putting him in the conversation Mm -hmm. and saying this is going to be a real quarterback competition despite the fact Charlie Brewer almost got Baylor to the college football playoff two years ago the fact that Kyle Whittingham keeps saying, oh, it's an open competition, Cam Rising's going to have a real shot at this. I had him much higher. I had Brewer higher than Rising, but I, I had I had, um, I had Cam Rising at 16. Okay. Uh, All right. I think that he is probably starting-wise the tied for, you know, the best quarterback in the state I would put him up there with anybody like Jaron Hall so uh I think that yeah I I am I'm interested to see how that all plays out but I also sort of think that he might see the field at some point too because Charlie Brewer had a lot of turnovers at Baylor last year and that's that's one thing that Cal Whittingham does not really like to deal with so Charlie uh, Brewer also has kind of had a nasty history with concussions. That's and the so other concern. There's, there's another thing, you know, that where even if Charlie Brewer wins the starting job, I think there's a high probability that due to injury, Cam Rising sees the field. Keep keep yourself healthy. That's the biggest thing. Keep yourself ready because Cam Rising, everything I'm hearing is he's actually ahead of schedule on this recovery. It's going to be a true battle, I think, in fall camp. Cam Rising, it's an extremely small sample size of what we saw him on the field, but it is as tantalizing a sample size as we have seen in some time. Mm -hmm. Because he looked 
really good. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll find out. So there you go. All right, moving on here. Number 38, a transfer from Utah to BYU, Samson Nakua, playing wide receiver. He's a senior, uh, formerly of Timview High School down there in Provo, returning to Provo. I'm excited to see what Samson does, how he fits in with this uh, wide receiving core at BYU. Yeah, me too. I, You know, Samson's a great talent. And, you know, I mean, it's it's not something that gets showcased at Utah a lot because Utah is a run-first team. Mm-hmm. They have been basically forever, and I don't see that changing anytime in the near future. Uh, but even with that, Samson was still a regular contributor uh, and showcased a lot of great talent, and I think that he's going to get more chances, more opportunities to show that uh, in BYU's system. Yeah, that that's the thing about it. We'll see how he fits in. And obviously, just hopefully a bigger opportunity for him reps-wise. I think a lot of people who overlook Samson, considering Puka, his younger brother, is at BYU. Mm-hmm. But when Samson is playing, he's really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's just been it's been it seems like too far in between him having those breakout performances. So we'll find out. Any thoughts on good old Samson Nakua, Eric? All right. So moving on here, Logan Bonner. Checking in, the transfer from Arkansas State to Utah State University. Uh, this is my personal opinion. I fully expect Logan Bonner to be QB1 up there in Logan. Your guys' thoughts on the matter? I, I agree. I expect him to be number one. Um, it is an interesting thing thinking about it, though, that at the three major universities, w- there's question marks at court. Like, we don't know who will be starting in yeah. the fall. We all have our ideas and our you know predictions, but... Yeah, Logan Bonner, I I expect to be the starting quarterback. Um, But as with all of the the quarterback positions, we don't really know quite exactly what we're getting. (laughs) That's a good point. Uh, Bonner's an interesting – he's been a part-time starter, kind of co-starter down there at Arkansas State for Blake Anderson. I think this will be his first real opportunity to be the, quote-unquote, the guy up there in Logan and see how he does. Eric? Follows the coach becomes a starter yeah that's kind of what i I, thought too that i just this is the guy that we've talked about the uncertainty with byu and utah Mm -hmm. there's no doubt this guy starts yeah peasley andrew peasley is the other guy up there at utah state uh he obviously will battle for the job but i'm with eric like you don't follow your head coach without thinking hey i'm going to be the guy all right uh final two for this week we'll get to quickly hawati pututau a six foot three 310 pound defensive tackle from cottonwood high school uh, Howard, as he formerly was known, I think this is a big opportunity for him. Obviously, we see a lot of Utah defensive linemen. They kind of bide their time and then break out. I think Hawati's got a huge opportunity in front of him here. Yeah, you know, and like you said, you know, I mean, Utah defensive linemen, if you're good enough to to bear that title, that, that says a lot. <laughs> sure. Yeah, like, you don't have to be even a full-time starter to get an NFL look at that. No, I mean, I mean, you know, Look at, you know, just a few years ago, Stevie Tui Kolovatu mm-hmm. uh, transferred from Utah because, you know, there was a lot of depth there. He was in the rotation, yeah. but he was... He wanted to be the guy. He wanted to be the guy. Transfers to USC <laughs> and then gets drafted. As PK brought up, how many times is that ever going to happen ever again? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's it's weird. Utah's... Guys transfer know. from USC to Utah yeah. or to other programs. Very you know, few transfer from other programs to USC for more playing time. Right. And, you know, that's it's something that's starting to happen a little bit. I, I, I hope that Utah fans realize how special it is. I mean, even this year, um, Orlando Umana yeah. transfers. He's, an, you know, a Utah O-lineman that transfers to an SEC school, mm-hmm. right? 
He's at Ole Miss now. We've had defensive linemen transfer to USC, offensive linemen transfer to the SEC and Ole Miss. That's not something that is common, and it it should be recognized that, you know, it it shows the progress that Utah has made. Yeah, Utah's doing a great job with that depth and recruiting the the talent in the first place. All right, final one here before we take a break. Chris Curry transferred from LSU to the University of Utah. Similar to TJ Pledger, probably a little lower on this list than I think most Utah fans would have expected, but... Similar to Pledger, we just don't know what ultimately he's capable of. Right. He, you know, he played on that national championship LSU team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, was kind of buried in the depth chart a little bit there. Did get some experience. The thing that I love about Chris Curry, watching Utah's spring game this year, you know, all three running backs, I didn't really see any separation as far as their productivity. Sure. But Chris Curry, there's just something about the way that he moves when he's running the ball. Like, you know, you just look at him running. There's, I, I can't even put my finger on it, but I just love the way that he plays. I love the style. And even though it didn't provide any separation, that was just something that stood out to me. Just watching how he runs, how he moves when he's on the field with the ball in his hands, that just captured my attention. And I love watching that. And so I'm really hopeful and excited to see what he's able to do at the University of Utah. Eric, any thoughts on Curry before we go here? Like Alex said, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, buried behind Clyde Edwards' Mm -hmm. lair. So we just don't know what to expect yet. Yep, we'll find out. So we'll continue to break these down for you. The 1660 rolls on. Uh, We're 50 days away from BYU, 49 days away from BYU and and Arizona kicking off their season, 47 days away from Utah and Weber State. It's coming fast, folks, so get excited. All right, we will wrap up today's show next. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. Weekend! You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Here at the Saturday Show, we're a tight-knit bunch. So when we found out one of our own, Alex Lumber, was addicted to energy drinks, we wanted to have an intervention. Had my 300 milligrams of caffeine for breakfast, so I'm back on my, you know, I'm back feeling normal again, but I, uh, man, I tell you what, I woke up just feeling like just, you know. Wait, 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 wait. So you still have one of those terrible energy drinks that you just consume constantly, even after, like, a great night of sleep? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's so, it's so, more like a dependence now. Than yeah, a, than how addi- yeah, I was about to say, how addicted are you? You know, about, about normal. But then, the National Energy Drink Association of America approached us and, <laughs> and offered us a lot, and I mean a lot, of money to push energy drinks to the public. Now, a guy like me, I care about my coworkers, but honestly, I care about getting wheelbarrows full of money more. So welcome aboard, Nada, our newest sponsor. Ever just get bored sitting at work and think to yourself, hey, I wanna have a crippling panic attack right now? Well, guess what? Energy drinks are for you. 
Want to teach your children the valuable lessons pulling an all-nighter can bring? Slip some monster into that sippy cup. Looking to see what your grandma would be like on the Miami nightclub scene? Slip some bang into her Diet Dr. Pepper. Who needs coffee when you can have processed sugar and chemical-induced power shakes instead? Energy drinks. Get jacked. <laughs> Eric, you're getting too good at this, man. Oh, man. Well done, sir. So there uh, you go. That's actually, like, really funny because I really, like, truthfully, I was telling these guys just before the show got started, walked in with my energy drink that, uh, you know, this one only has 200 milligrams. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, <laughs> I'm cutting back a little bit, I guess. But I did just sign up for a uh, a subscription where 24 cans get delivered to my doorstep every three weeks. So Please you know. stop. <laughs> get some help. 24 cans every three weeks. It was it was a good deal. I'm sorry. Like I I had to, and it, it saves me from going and buying one every day. So there you go. So. Eric, well done. Thank you for sending us out on a high note. Uh, we are over time, but that's going to do it for us. Lundy, any final thoughts from you? You know, these shows go by so fast. They fly by. Like, having a blast. It's so much fun. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's about it for me this week. Yeah. Eric, well done, sir. It's a fun show. We had a lot of fun. Thanks to Bob Cass for taking the time to join us. Thank you to all of you who have tuned in throughout the show and interacted with us. Hope you guys are all doing great. We'll be back next Saturday. This has been the Saturday show for July 17th, 2021, right here on the Zone Sports Network. See ya.